Ah, uh, Mountaineer Nation. Plenty of playoff talk. Playoffs. Also, we'll get into the NIL, the portal, what we think the team could look like. A lot of football conversation of things that may not even become true. So we're going to kind of uh, have a little fun this evening and kind of go into the playoff like we said, the portal, some Ren Baker stuff, NIL. Clear out the notebook there, and then we'll get into basketball a little later in the week. So you guys know what to do. If it's in the morning, grab that coffee, Phil style. If it's in the evening, grab the drink, and come on back because we're talking all things college portal regarding to the Mountaineers here on the porch. I'm Blaine. Let's go. To me, to me, Brian Kelly and LSU got exposed on primetime by Georgia when they, I mean, they didn't even look like they belonged in that game. Yeah, that's 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 fair. That's fair. Hey, Mike, and I, and I, I think that to me, that that's the difference. Yeah, I see. Well, uh, let's let's get your opinion here real quick on this. I'd like to hear it. The okay. fourteen, the fourteen playoff here, buddy. In my opinion, TCU got by by the skin of their teeth. All. I think the Horned Frogs had to run the table. I, I oh, wow. Out. I couldn't see, disagree I, I, more I with thought, that statement. Could not see, disagree more. I, I thought more. they had to win to stay in, too. But I, I think USC losing actually ended up helping them. I think so, too. I agree. I, I, I just, to me, you watch TCU for a majority of the season. I mean, the, the way that they grinded out wins was impressive, but their performances really weren't. I mean, we saw them in, in Milan Pushgar Stadium. Uh, Tay Barber had a big game, and, and they found a way to pull away late. Uh, but it was nothing that really blew you out of the water. And, and I think he, 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 most casual fans would say head-to-head Alabama versus TCU matchup, Alabama would probably win. So factoring all of that in, given the fact that TCU is not a conference champ and was not dominant, I, I would have given it to Bama. I, I'll say this, Mike, and I, I'll disagree with you on this real quickly. TCU went 12-0. and had to play in a conference championship game, and lost that conference championship game in overtime. Alabama kicked the three. I, 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 I would say this. The three. If, if, but time out, time out. Hold on now. If you're going to do that, TCU should be in, and it should have been Bama over Ohio State, not TCU. I think if TCU loses a game this year, they should have been out. The Big 12 – didn't have any top dogs, and, and I think that cost you. When now, you Mike, but let me ask you this real quick: Is it is the top dog more important? If, but if you have every team essentially minus West Virginia in that top fifty, is that not better in a better test of a team than to have three teams fictitiously air quoted in the top twenty? And the rest I, of it's trash. I mean, that's my opinion. I, I just, I, I, I think it is more impressive to knock off a no doubter top five team, and then yeah, maybe you pick up a big time win uh, over a bottom of the barrel squad. But um, a whole lot of close wins over slightly above average, followed by not winning the conference and eventually losing. To me, in Bama is clearly a better football team. And 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 I think it is. I, I think it's. I think ten and two navigating the SEC slate is more. Impressive. I think ten and two navigating the SEC slate is more impressive than an eleven and one Ohio State. They got to be by twenty three, but I do not think it's more impressive than a twelve and one Big Twelve regular season champion that always grinded and found ways to win games and lost in overtime in the Big Twelve title. Sorry, the committee got that right. TCU being ranked is a, in in the playoff. Hundred percent correct. Uh, I think you can de- you can debate on who you want it for between Ohio State and Bama, but TCU being in, they got that right, and I'm so glad they did. Yeah, well, and here's the interesting thing, Blaine, and it kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about before, Mike, is because I I just pulled this up, and it's available on a bunch of different sites. This is this is the one I happened to pull up. Is TCU actually, we talked the Big 12 didn't have the dominant dog. TCU still had the eighth toughest schedule in the country. Exactly. They had, I mean, the Big 12, while not being necessarily having the top dog every week and maybe not having three teams in the top 15, had a lot of good football being played week in and week out. And TCU found a way every week to be at least one point better than the opponent. And I think that means something. 
It it does to a thirteen and O squad. Ah, well, but, 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 but here's the thing, though, right? Alabama lost two weeks prior to LSU, and Cl- and Michigan lost the week prior, or excuse me, and Ohio State lost a week prior to Michigan. So, like, I can't I can't go with that argument there, man. I can't. I, I just don't see that many overly. Well, impressive. there's just not very many impressive wins on the resume. Well, but here's the thing, though, and you may not, and they may not look impressive. But here's the thing: in the top twenty, ten, all ten Big Twelve teams are represented in the top twenty for for scheduling. The entire league is in the top twenty in strength of schedule, so I think that speaks to something. Oh, CJ, CJ, CJ! I'm so glad you just brought that up. The way you brought that up. I mean, that, that was what Because we're pretty teams. much done. <laughs> go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Because I want to get on the scheduling and why it's important to our next topic. Uh, yeah, obviously, West Virginia is in a similar boat, and that's what E. Gordon Gee was saying today. But I'm not buying <laughs> There you go, Mike. That's what I wanted that. to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I'm not buying that one bit. The toughest schedule. He said we have the toughest schedule in the country. We try to compare compare the Mountaineer schedule to LSU's. We, we don't have a tougher schedule than LSU. That's ridiculous. Okay, it, it the big in the Big Twelve, you pretty much said you play the same team ten times, wearing a different uniform, and it's going to be a tough game, and you're going to have a chance. But that that is not the same as going into LSU, going into Georgia, going into Tennessee, Alabama. It's it's just on a different stratosphere. So I, I just, in my opinion, circling back to the college football playoff discussion. When there's a talent gap seemingly as wide as it would be between TCU and Bama, I think Bryce Young would run circles on that Horn Frog defense. Ooh, I could not disagree more with that, Mike. I, I do, and Alabama would find answers uh, for the TCU pass game over the four, the course of, of four quarters. But they didn't find them against LSU, Mike. Well, and, I, here, and here's the other thing, too, and this has been historic for Alabama with Nick Saban. What's the one thing that gives him frustrations and nightmares? Mobile quarterbacks and Max Duggan's mobile. To me, that would be a difference. I, I think Bama probably finds a way to win it, but I don't think they win it going away. I, I just I just don't see it in the Big 12. TCU didn't <laughs> blow me away. I love Johnson. I love Tay Barber. DeMarcado is a good player. But TCU did not impress me with anything other than heart this year. Mike, I'm going to say this. And while I get what you're saying, I think that's very important. Kind of that heart and that quality of being able to win games. You saw it exuded through Duggan against the second best conference in the nation. The Big 12 is the second best conference in the country. I think it's the third. What, the Big Ten? The Big Ten's got two teams in the playoff. I think that – But that doesn't – got to have okay. a dog fight in my opinion. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, okay? I get what you're saying. But after that, there's nothing. And that, so the media created Ohio State and Michigan to both be this these top ten teams from the start, which, let's be honest, they probably are still both top ten teams. But I'm sorry. Like the Big Ten being said the second best league – no, I cannot go there. I just can't. Uh, see, I see. I think when you watch Michigan play and, and you see how well they execute, Mike, I think Michigan's the best are in the country. In the interior. so you're not you're not telling me anything there. And, and, and Ohio State is just hot, nasty, badass speed with an incredibly accurate quarterback in CJ out. I, I think they're they're top five. You could debate one all day, right? Yeah. Because you have two elite teams. Uh, TCU was elite this year, 12-1, and one, but after that it's just really good. And then after that it's good, and then it's okay. And and to me that makes it not second. But it's – I mean, I see what you're saying. Well, it's semantics, let's be real. But it's like, okay, so just just for the sake of this argument, K-State's obviously the second-best team in the, big, in, the big tw- in the Big 12 this year. And compare them to Ohio State being the second-best team in the Big 10. Obviously, Ohio State gets that nod. You want to go to the third-place team, probably Penn State's going to get that nod versus whoever the Big the Big 12 throws out there. But then I think from there on down, the Big 12 would get the, would, would win every matchup. So, it, you, I mean, and I get that. Being top-heavy is better for the narrative that the league is good versus what it might actually be top to bottom. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. What also makes it more difficult on the coaches in that league, that's for sure. So, <laughs> hey, we wanted to get to this, fellas. Let's get to it. The comments today from Gordon Gee. Um, let's just let's digest them real quick here. Now, I didn't listen to the whole press conference, Mike. I came in the last about ten minutes. I I don't I heard that, but I heard that quote from him, and it was like, like, like I get what he was trying to say. He was trying to say this team fought. We played a tough schedule. Maybe it's not time to can kneel yet. Essentially saying, we're going to give him another year, evaluate, see what happens. Let's get behind our coaches, embrace them, you know, as he said. But at the same time, to say that we're proud of a 5-7 and seven team and that we're proud of being 5-7, and seven, that's tough to hear as a Mountaineer fan. It has to be. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And then he was like, we put our coach in a really tough position by scheduling two power fives. Okay, Pitt's unranked, and Virginia Tech is three and eight. No one, let's be real. The other one that we played was Kansas. I mean, I sat up here preseason and said we were going to be at least 4-0 heading into Texas without much question. And look what happened. So, come on, I'm with you. Like, we cannot, cannot act like we didn't – the schedule was that hard. I mean, it was difficult, but it wasn't that hard. Talk about a yawner top to bottom, that press conference. I don't think anybody could have got all the way through it. Ren Baker, um, you know, I'll give him his time, but didn't say anything of substance. Uh, thanked a bunch of people. I guess he's got to give out the flowers. It is what it is. It's the introductory presser, but uh, yawnerific that one was. But, I mean, E. Gordon Gee kind of spelled it out right there in front of us. The, the standard has seemed to have dipped a little bit. Well, it was weird because for for a guy who's an academic, he I don't think he articulated out exactly what he wanted to. Bingo. He, he, and here's my thing, and, and I can understand, you know, the the way the schedule ended up playing out. But I think you know before the year started, I, I don't think anybody saw Virginia Tech being three and eight, and Pitt coming off an ACC title being as bad as they were either. But I think there is some merit in you know, the way they scheduled out a conference. I, I get why you did it. Um, I love it. I, Traditional rivals, CJ, I'm with you. I, I, I get it, but I think there also is some uh in it too is because, I mean, in complete honesty, you look at the, the, the final four in the playoff now, who really played anybody outside of conference? I mean, Ohio State, you know, played Notre Dame, which probably at the end of the day isn't as good of a win as you thought it would be early. Um yeah, you know, still probably a quality. It, it's still a quality win. I'll give Georgia credit for Oregon. Yeah, Georgia credit for Oregon. But I mean, you look at some of the teams even around it. Like, who the hell did Alabama went and played Texas, but then they played like Austin P with like the next to last game I mean, of the year. I think like, everyone needs. You need to schedule one game that's a tough game, and then you yeah. got to schedule one game that's a, a middle game, and then you got to schedule an easy game. Yeah, see that, and that's the route that I, I think you really should go. Get a group of five in there, get you an FCS school in there, and then get you one power five. It, it, you play all those power fives, you get no real break in the schedule, and it's a lot of banging against guys that are just as good as you are, and, and you don't I, – I, to me, I think it's it's a little extra toll that doesn't necessarily need to be there. I kind of want to keep scheduling Virginia Tech for a while, though. <laughs> all right, and I kind of want to – honestly, I kind of want to schedule Pitt again. So <laughs> next year, correct? Is anybody, if I'm not mistaken, we've got a Penn State and Pitt with Vautech scheduled next year, correct? Uh, I, I think I know Penn State Virginia State. Tech, I'm not sure. I know they were unsure as to the status last That's right, Mike. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Okay, here it is. It's at Penn State to open the year September the 2nd. Want to know? At home. <laughs> September the 9th against Duquesne. Okay, that's a win. We'll so, Pitt, two Pitt schools back-to-back. We got this. We're going to dominate Pittsburgh. And or then Pitt September State, the 16th at home, we, we will complete the Pittsburgh cycle by winning the Panthers. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. All right, I, I, two and one. That, we, we can beat Duquesne. Come on, Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, ready for the Dukes. Ready for the Dukes. Throw them up. I mean, hey, I, 
the Penn State will be a tough one, obviously, especially there. Uh, yeah, if, if it's a whiteout, especially. It, it won't be game one. You don't think? No, 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 no. They don't know it, who's coming to town? <laughs> you mean they want to white it out for Neil Brown? They haven't seen the pictures from the Paterno days of the goalposts getting knocked down. We we overthrew Penn State at one point, and it was like the biggest win in the history. Oh, of the easily when Major did it. I mean, yeah, we he talks about on that play. He he went the wrong way, but he just made it work. That's the play that our dads talk about. That game. Yes, yes, they do. Ours is probably the. Uh, uh, would you, I mean, would you say the Pat White play? I, I think the Louisville game's up there. I, it's tough to pick out one play from that game, though. Uh, one play. You, you, I mean, I think for us, it's just we just talk about that game in general. Yeah. Orange Bowl's, Orange Bowl's up there as well. That was just so satisfying. You got anything there, old-timer? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it would be tough. I, the the thing with the, the major play, because I mean, that was Penn State, and that was such an old, old rival. You know, I had an uncle who played at WVU, was an All-American up there, um, you know, who I will say it for him since he is no longer with us and can't say it. His exact words would be, fuck Paterno, fuck Penn State. Um, no, I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> a, absolute no love loss uh, for that school. Um, you know, he actually he actually told me flat out that he hated them more than he hated Pitt. Hey, CJ, can I tell you this? People in there getting ready to be in their mid thirties do not know that game. They, they don't, and and here's I, the I don't know that game, CJ. Yeah, it, 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 the the run that Major had it with the it wasn't just necessarily the fact that he basically literally ran around the entire Penn State defense, literally ran around ten of the eleven dudes on the field. It was it was more than that. It was finally beating Penn State, kind of slaying that dragon. Um, it, it was so much in that moment that lives. Um, I think that's why it's so tough when you compare them because of what that game meant at the time and what that rivalry was is well, why and what it did for that season as well. I mean, right. So I think that's why it's kind of always going to really be in the ancillary in the, in, in, in the historical view of it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Pat had a bunch that just, you know, for me and to me, when you talk about the Pat white play, the first thing that comes to my head in all honesty is the peel back block against UConn. I don't know why that went wow. my head. You know, one that comes to mind and, for me. And I think it might I think be because I was, I was, I was maybe there. Louisville, the double, the double shake on the yeah. on the little sweet play in the corner. I think it was East Carolina. Yeah, that was East Carolina. But yeah, so for me, I, I would put major just because of what it meant, not only in that season, but for the for the program in a historical context. The one that people play a lot in highlight tapes is the Quincy Wilson run against Miami. Oh yes, and I've I've gotten to ask him about it a couple of times. It's pretty cool hearing him talk. Um, oh yeah, Quincy. Quincy's a fan of the program. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I got, He's coaching down in Fort Lauderdale now. Yeah, yes, he is. I, I've been working with him, trying to get him back on with us when when he gets some get some time. I, I got his email. Oh, I, I got his phone number, but okay. Okay. <laughs> All, right. Uh, All right. No, man. No. You, hey, both Q, you guys Q, up there, big big J journalists going on here. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh. No. Q Q's a really good guy. I got to get. I got to really know him at his time uh, with Pennington at West Virginia State. Um, no, Quincy's a really good dude, and I've, I've, Mike, I've had the opportunity to talk to him about that run too, and it's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of cool to get his retrospect on it, and that is, I, to me, that run would be so much more in the in the history annals had Kellen Winslow not made probably dude, the catch of his career. CJ, you know what's crazy though about that is that place still lives on despite that, and it carried that team the rest of the year to what well, it became. Like that's here's, what's crazy about that play. Here's the like, thing, though. I, I think if you'd ask most people, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we won that game." Like you feel like you won that game. I don't know, because Mike, we, did you know that? I mean, you were happen. young then. 
But did you know I they was, lost their one? I was really young. I was born in '98. <laughs> so that, that was, was well, you. Uh, yeah, you'd have been like five or six then. Yeah, my introduction was around the Louisville game. Oh, really? Yes. First game I went to. Wow, so you were about eight or nine then. Yeah. Oh, so you're still really new to this whole heartache thing. I it, it doesn't feel like it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's just, that's just the life of a mountaineer. Oh, that's can, 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 can I tell you something? I had. That's perfect, though. I, honestly, that's that's kind of great. Go ahead, CJ. But it's kind of funny how the generations. I think this yeah, is perfect. Th- this is this is. I, I had a, an old time family member of mine say this has been a fan of the Mountaineers his whole life. He's in his eighties. Looked at me and said, "Being a West Virginia fan." is quite frankly the hardest, saddest thing you will ever do in your life. <laughs> I mean, it's it's up there. I mean... I got some blemishes on the scorecard, but, I mean, that's got to be one of the most depressing. And it's just like, the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, he was kind of a savant in that. Like, literally being a fan of this team is sometimes the hardest thing in the world. And it sadly, it doesn't matter what sport. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know though. I, it's kind of funny though, CJ, because when you think about the generation, Mike kind of gets introduced during when it really took off, took off, right? And like you kind of have an experience of success early, pretty yeah. rich as well. Yeah, that I, that it, made it's it. different. Well, success as long as it wasn't a bowl game. Well, that's true, but we do kind of New West Virginia football. And then I knew West Virginia football in the Neyland years. Like that was my formative years learning about West Virginia football was the, the tail end of Don Neyland. Whereas you knew a little bit of Don Neyland, like, like 93 sugar bowl, Don Neyland. Yeah, actually. I didn't know that yet. I yeah, wasn't 90- old enough to really pick that up. So you we'll say that. And that was actually 93 was my first game in Morgantown. Um, opening day playing uh, Eastern Michigan, actually. Was uh, was was Avon the guy then, Blaine, when you started watching? To be quite honest, uh, no. It was more Amos Zareway. Oh, yeah, he was a dude. Amos Zareway and Mark Bolger were kind of my first Mountaineer teams I truly, truly remembered West Virginia-wise. Um, famous Amos. Yep, Famous Amos, Mark Bolger. They had, like, uh, Sean Foreman and uh, – David Saunders at the receivers, Anthony Beck to the tight end. Still, Stills is, I mean, Gary Stills was making plays on the defense. John Thornton. It's kind of funny when you see some of these guys now have kids that are like in college and it's like, whoa, like, you know. Hey, fellas, I want to say this real quick though, while we're on Mountaineer football. I'm not necessarily thrilled by the fact that like, we kind of scapegoated Shane Lyons because I actually don't think he was the problem at all. No, no, that's becoming evident. Um, the extension. Uh, now, now, granted, I think this Baker guy is going to be good at fundraising. I do think that's going to happen. But the extension's what got him. And we might have lost out on a chance at a really good opportunity to be something different had we taken it with Dion. Because now I think Colorado's about to blow up for about three to four years, then he's going to get a huge job. That could have been us. It's like super bad. It, it's funny. It's all, we could be that mistake. It's all very full circle. E. Gordon Gee was the president at Colorado when they made it to the Natty. And prior to that, everybody wanted to fire their coach. And he convinced E. Gordon Gee to stay, and he kept him. So now, fast forward, E. Gordon Gee is at a different university. He won't fire his guy. Colorado's making the move. And I mean, they're they're set to go. You're right. Did you hear the introductory presser? I, I did about the Louis bag. Oh, uh, he's he's they're fired up. They're ready to go. He gave his team the introductory like spring ball, uh, like pre spring ball speech, and he said, "Bunch of y'all got to get in the portal. I'm bringing my own luggage." So uh, that's that's crazy. I've never heard anybody starting off the first team meeting like that. Uh, yeah, yeah it was almost pretty, pretty reminiscent. It was almost kind of reminiscent. The only thing I can compare it to is, is is go back and watch Reggie Jackson's first press conference when he went to the Yankees. His quote was, I didn't come here to be a star. I brought my star with me. Like, that's <laughs> I mean, that's what he the did. the exact same kind of 
ego was, for the lack of a better word. You know, it's funny because like Dion sitting there wearing that Colorado hat today and behind it, it was like, yeah, this is going to work. Like he's going to do well here. And the reality of it is the bar is so low to begin with for them to start. I mean, what they went one and 11 the last two seasons. So anything is better than what, I mean, he makes a bowl year one. They'll throw him a parade and they should. Yeah, I, I, it's it's pretty. It, it's gonna be interesting to see. Regardless, I, I wish, I wish, I wish West Virginia would have had just an ounce of aggressiveness, but it it, it just didn't show it. Uh, Deion Sanders though set up for success. Boulder apparently is a really beautiful town. I'm sure it is my way to to get it going. Have you been there? It is it is beautiful. As I say, I've got a buddy of mine that lives in Colorado and absolutely raves about the Boulder area. Um, you know, it, and it and it is, and I, and and I think they've been bad dude, for so long that anything he does, they're going to be appreciative of, which is great for him. It's the same kind of mold as Jackson State until he's truly ready for that. I mean, honestly, I think it might have been a okay. He would have done so well; it wouldn't have mattered. But I could have seen it being a bad fit for us because had we not one early people would have been very very hot to go after him yeah i think so and here in there's there's kind of was an interesting thing and i wanted to get your guys take on this and it almost makes me feel like dion's going to be a guy that every three to four years is going to be talked about or possibly making a jump because of the quote he had to his to his team after they won the swag title where he said in coaching, you either get elevated or you get terminated. That doesn't sound like a guy who's looking for a place to stay 10, 12, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I'm right there with you. There's a, um, there's a number of places that are on that upper echelon. Although Florida State's pretty good right now. That's the obvious one. You think maybe that's the dream job, ultimate landing spot. But yeah, I agree. I think he probably wants big time SEC. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the departure speech. I, and I know it's in Deion Sanders' stage, Deion Sanders. But I wish it would have been more thanking the kids, talking less about himself. But yeah, we got to look at who we're talking about. I, I, and that was I always agree with my, that, Mike. I yeah, and that was always kind of my one little hesitation with Dion Is 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 he going to be bigger than the 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 program? And is he going to overshadow the kids? Like. It, at some point, does a kid go, man, I, I want to make a name, I want to win, but I want to do it where I'm getting the recognition and not necessarily him. I see. Like, I don't, that's going to be the question. It, I don't mind it building a program because it is what it is, and you're probably going to get better players. And in the introductory presser, it's great. In the departure speech in the team meeting with just his guys, for one, I don't understand why it needs to be filmed in the first place. I'm with you on that, too. And and secondly, he should have said, you guys just put together an undefeated season. Thank you so much. And he talked about himself pretty much the entire time. Well, they do have another game coming up, Mike. Which he is going to coach. He is. He is. Yeah. I mean, and I don't something. know. I feel you on that, though. It was very, Did again, you like, like, you, and like you said, CJ, that was your one concern is it was very Coach Prime, not Dion, or a lot of a lot about him, not about what the team just accomplished. Now, granted, who knows? They might have already talked about that, and they just filmed this part, and that's what we're seeing. Let's and, also and be quite real about and, that. And you can get away with that when you're at Jackson State or when you're at Colorado building the program, but let's say he goes to – an SEC program that's already got kind of that prestige on it. Okay, I don't know how well that flies. I mean, hey, and this is a question that I do have. What is the next step from Colorado? Like, could we come and poach him from Colorado? <laughs> come and swoop him in from Colorado here in a couple I, of years I don't, if Neil's not doing well. No, I, I I highly doubt it. Well, I well here here's the only reason I would I would give that an ounce of any kind of real thought or argument is what does the Pac-12 look like in two or three years? Exactly, CJ. That's going to be the question because the the blood for that conference is in the water. Now, here's the thing. The Colorado might get added back into the Big 12. Well, but and here's the thing, and I still don't know if that would completely matter, and, I, and I'll tell you why. 
Cincinnati's headed to the Big 12 and Luke Fickle jumped to the Big 10. Like he was already going to be in the Power 5 a Power 5 coach and he makes the jump to Wisconsin. I, sometimes I don't think it necessarily all of that matters into it. You know, it might be one of those things where, you know, and well, it's more money with prime, Wisconsin too in that instance for sure, but probably, but it may be also one of those things here in two years, he's got that Colorado thing up, ramped, running, and, you know, he ends up in this just quite frankly program builder mode of a coach where that's what he does. He goes in, gives you three, four years, builds it up, gets it running, and then goes to take on the next reclamation project. I don't know about that. I, I don't either, but that's kind of how it feels right now because that's what he did at Jackson State. Now he's going to Colorado to do it maybe you do that and you go, hey, you can come to the Big 12. We don't have necessarily the gauntlet maybe because I, I don't know because I don't know what gauntlet's going to be in the Big in the Pac-12 now. But also – Well, they might know, not have a seat at the table. That's what I'm thinking. Right. That's that's going to be the other thing is, is hey, you're in a conference that, quite frankly, is getting absolutely no love because, well, quite frankly, it's Oregon and that's the only thing people care about. Who knows? And it may not, you may not be able to do it because he may get that thing ramped up and running and it doesn't matter. But I think there might be a little bit of credence to it. Mm. I, I'm just hopeful that uh, I mean, we heck, win next year the, with Neil. Let's just be honest at this point I mean, in time. I mean, heck, you've got the AD at Colorado legit saying we don't have the money to pay him yet, but we're going to find it. Like you literally just told this guy, hey, our checks are going to bounce. <laughs> and Glenn, the other reason he might, not look, he might not look at West Virginia as a step up because we're paying similar. I think he's it's five million at Colorado. Uh, Mister Kentucky's making like four. Right, Sun Belt, Sun Belt Coach of the Year. I can't even say his name. He's making four, so it's a similar price tag, probably. Yeah, I I suppose, and I, I guess that's. Man, maybe if the collective really wants to get involved, how about we uh, pony up for a big, big coach? How about that? Are we allowed to do that with the collective, or is that against the rules? Uh, that's a great question. And who knows? The, the NIL thing in general is Wait, really what, what? 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 What are rules? We have those still. <laughs> it's the funny. Like I, one of the questions I asked the sideline reporter Jed Drennan, he does he does the radio? Stuff. Oh yeah. I wanted to know, like everybody always says, we got to get the community going on this NIL. We got to start fundraising for NIL. But what comes first, the chicken or the egg? There's not that many marketable players on Mountain on the Mountaineer football team. The highest performing offensive player this year was Sam James, who finished with a hundred with 745 yards. That's a, a lower tier second receiver on a team, possibly a third receiver on a team, and he's our number one guy. If you're a business owner, why pony up? the cash to advertise any of these guys. They're not very good. You know what? That's what, what interesting. Comes first? What comes and that's what I, I said. The, does the performance come first or the NIL? And what Jed said, what Jed said is that he thinks that no matter what, in some regard, the players on the team will have value and that some more of the local businesses should indeed jump on it in, in advertising situations. Like, like local, he, he brought up pizza parlors, stuff like that. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think there is some value in it just because yeah, it, you have diehards that are just be like, oh, they're supporting the Mountaineers. Like, I mean, that that's the reality. But there's a reason United National Bank's slogan is what it is, right? It's been that way for a long time, too, CJ. Trust right. me. From it someone has, who's worked it, there in the past. And, and it's been that for the longest time. And why? Because it, they're united with the Mountaineers. It, it's a name recognition. It, it's one of those things. And yeah, I, and there, you're going to have some out there that probably have kind of performance based. Hey, we want, you know, we want guys that are doing this type of thing. But those would be your much more higher echelon type of things. But I do think some of the other lower tier stuff getting involved is a good thing if nothing more than just getting kind of that name recognition people understanding that you're involved with the university I, I think there's more to it that plays that way especially in a state like West Virginia and with the fan base than 
it does say putting the offensive lineman on a billboard for a law office. Or that the mattress one. I have seen the Morgan and Morgan ones, man. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and here's the and Morgan and Morgan's not a West Virginia based business in the sense like some of these these companies are. So I, I think there is some value in it. Um, but it, it, it's going to be weird in how you do it because there's only going to be so much money to go around. Are you giving it straight to the collective or are you giving it straight to the university or are you dividing it? And then you're really not giving anything. Hey, um, so, and also, I mean, having to, they got to figure out how they're distributing it. That's for sure. That without doubt, when it comes to the funds, Mike wanted to, wanted to ask you though, the talk with Jed. So he thinks it's more, like CJ said, the brand deal didn't. Did he have anything to say about like maybe not having marketable players though? He he did not, and I understand in his position it's kind of tough to right. Um, he just said as a salesman himself that that it's it's good to be synonymous still with the players for the Mountaineers, and that they they should indeed get more involved. I'm just more of the opinion, though, that the, the performance has got to come first. Um, but I think he also admitted that there's really no answer to that yet, and, and we're not sure. I mean, I, I don't remember it word for word. It was a right, pretty, right. pretty lengthy response, so I don't want to misquote him. Um, but I think that was those were kind of the, the main yeah. thing he was saying. Did, did you talk with him any about um, – I think we were talking about that the other day, about like kind of his thoughts on the whole – AD situation and what he hired in the past? Well, he said what you said earlier, that Ren Baker's a big-time fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was kind of his main point, is is that he, he could he could jumpstart that, get some cash flow going. But we didn't talk as much about the decision itself. I, I wanted to know more about Neil Brown, because he's, he's the sideline reporter. So right. He, so so he what, sense what, the vibes from the bench. What'd you kind of feel? out when you heard that conversation he what he said was something that that to me is is kind of and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say i it's it's an argument that i don't really think is that pertinent when you're talking about the level of football that we're talking about he just said that that the guys never quit and he brought up uh tease the tcu game that we won down mm-hmm. the stretch of gary patterson's career and and he said Gary Patterson's the Don Nealon of TCU, and that team quit on him. And he was like, "It's tough. Neil Neil's teams never quit on him." But but to me, that's that's a minimum expectation. That's uh, not a reason to keep a five and seven coach. Uh, but but that was his point. And and those were the types of things that I did want to know, just because when you're on a sideline, you can pick up more on the vibe. Right. Right, definitely. Well, and, and here's the thing, and, and and I don't, I think there is some value in a guy not losing a locker room, um, especially when it's not going well. The rumor mill swirling. I, I I think there is kind of something to that, um, a because look at I look at my water, look at Liberty. Once once the rumor mill about Hugh Free started swirling, that team quit on Hugh, flat out quit. They didn't care. They knew he wasn't going to be there, so it didn't matter. So I, I think there is some value in the fact that with all of that going on, he can still get them lockstep into what they wanted to do and get them fighting and competing. I, I think there is some value in that. Yeah, I mean, because it would have been real easy what when you were sitting three and six – uh, having to win out with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you know, that finish there that we had, uh, it could have been real easy to t- tuck your tails. But for them to win two games and one of them on the road, and actually both games in kind of bad conditions, granted Kansas State took you behind the shed for the most part, but they didn't quit, like you said. They didn't quit, which is good. But, Mike, I'm kind of with you sort of a minimum expectation for a team that they should not be quitting on at I mean, all. They should be playing the game, you know. And a great analogy by Jed, though, yeah. about Patterson being the Don Nealon of uh, TV <laughs> football. That's a really good one. That was a really insightful thing about that game. I'd never heard that before. 
Well, and and real quick, Blaine, because you say that is a minimum expectation, and I would agree with that. You got quits, kids quitting on programs and coaches seemingly week in and week out now. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily a minimum expectation anymore. That I was another – was... But I don't think it is anymore. Jed said there were going to be 2,000 kids in the transfer portal. Oh, it's dumb. They're already up. I think I saw 500, 470 of them were Division One. About eight to nine that you really were kind of like couldn't believe they were in there, right? There, there were some. I mean, you look up and down it. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent in there, and, and some of the names shocked me a little bit in them. Some of them made sense, but there were there were a couple of them that I kind of was like, wow, okay, that that shocks that 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 didn't didn't see it coming. And hey, Mike, when when Jay kind of talked about us in the portal, did he expect heavy defections, or was he kind of thinking we might be kind of maybe getting into the retention business finally this year? That would have been a great follow up, and and you should have been doing the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I mean, and the reason I think about this is because from the HR background, man, you can get people in the door, right? But if you're not retaining them, it doesn't really matter. Like yeah. you have to create that culture where people want to stay and want to be a part of, which does bring up the point about not quitting, especially in this era where teams quit on things so often and so frequently, that is a good sign. I'd love to hope and see that we kind of are retaining the players that we have in house. I mean, you think about it, we have the makings of a very scary offense next year. If you have Green and Markio at quarterback with Donaldson in the backfield with the, with the Johnson and an Anderson, you maybe need to hop in the portal and find some receivers. But that's the making of a scary offense right there. It, it with is. With a good O-line potentially as well I, with the West Virginia I, kids. I like I really like the flat line speed from Jalen Anderson that last game. That caught my attention. Oh, yeah. And you add in Donaldson again, hopefully back again. I mean, what, what is the situation with Donaldson? Is he out yet? I've heard different things. He is not officially listed as in the portal. Okay. Okay. Okay, baby. Okay. We'll Maybe take for, that. For, I, I will say, this, though, I think I think the biggest need in the portal and, and Neil said it and he said it after Oklahoma State um, defense has got to be a primary focus in the portal. It has to be, especially on the back end. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. That that is. Yeah, I mean, because we we kind of what we did this year in the portal. If we're going to be honest, from the secondary perspective, we went the Huggy Bear route. Year one of him being in the portal, getting guys that had performance at lower levels, expecting that performance to kind of elevate up a little bit at the higher level, and it doesn't really really work that way in big time major college football. It, it, it can, but not if it's the entire secondary. And that's kind of what it was. If Same Jaz- thing with the basketball team last year. If, if Jazzy or Cox would have been our worst player on defense, he did a lot of good stuff. That would have been fine. But he was one of our best, and he's a three-year FCS guy. I get what you're coming with, Mike. I mean, he was actually our best when it came to, like, Marcus Floyd and some of these other guys that were like, yeah, Moorhead States. And, yeah, that's I, 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 definitely a great point. We got to get some more power five D one type, even if it's some belt type level talent in the portal. If we're going to go fishing out there or honestly, we have enough, we're starting to, and that's why recruiting, I think is still going to be important, especially in college football, because if you can have that retention level, we should have a really good secondary despite even having a defection from it already. The transfer portal has taken a lot of fun out of the game. I I think I mean yeah. Let's hope we land a couple of big time DBs. I don't I don't know if there's a, a DB tree. I mean, if Spell stays, he's a great player. He's a big play player. I I don't know if he's proven we can count on him yet. No, well, he's a true freshman though. I mean, that's fair enough. Fair you enough. know, guy making even big plays as a true freshman makes me think he's probably gonna be pretty solid eventually. Yeah, it, yeah. So I mean, and, it, and it's going to be interesting to kind of watch the the kind of what happens over really the next week or so with the portal as, as guys kind of start to throw their names in it. Um, you know, I, I don't think 
the thing was is, and I think it's been kind of nice is, you know, like I think eleven Clemson players jumped into it today. Um, some surprising, some not. Um, but I, the noticeable thing for West Virginia is, is there hasn't been that one where you went, oh my God, he's leaving. So. I, I think if you can kind of keep retention, like you said, Blaine, I, I think that goes kind of a long way. Um, you know, I, I don't think Reese Smith or, or Will Crowder going in shocked anybody. Um, and I don't think anybody went, oh, my God, we're losing them. So it, it, if you can keep the retention at kind of a, a minimum and, and get some guys out of it, I think you're going to feel really okay with everything going on. Um, it's I don't just know. Be, I don't know, CJ. I'm going to take exception to, to you saying no one went gosh because I think Neil probably had a little sigh when, when Reese left. Yeah, probably, but I mean... I, don't but you, I mean, Mike? Don't you think so? Um, And and Michael Laughlin is officially in the portal as well. <laughs> what I said was, Mike, I said, don't you think Neil that let out a little sigh when Reese, when Reese hit the portal? That was his boy. Reese Smith? Oh, yeah. Oh, Reese Smith is in the portal. Reese yep. Smith's in the portal. Who, 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 what's the point? Reese Smith is still going to be Reese Smith. He had, he had one fantastic catch this year. I got to give him props for that. Dude, I, who was it against? Was it the Baylor game? Was it the one that we won? It was the Baylor game. 100%, Mike. So he does, he deserves credit for that. He almost made a great catch against Pitt as well, too. Oh, yeah. Yep. He almost being yeah. the operative word on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, Michael Laughlin is officially in the portal. We injuries recently dropped balls as of uh, yeah started I, great started great Didn't yeah well you just time. you just kind of hope for him he can you know find a way to stay healthy yeah absolutely let's let's hope to add this year and you know what? hey Mike back to your point there earlier talking about marketable players I think we might have a couple now I, coming I, back potentially. Who do, who do you like at the outset? We didn't really get to see a full showcase in the horrendous conditions in the finale in Stillwater. But out of the gate, on a hunch, Garrett Green or Nico Markiel for you next season. I think you go Garrett, but I think Nico is absolutely a part of the plan. And, and kind of you almost go Harbaugh style. Let them both have a couple games, see who's better, and roll with it. I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. To me, because I like what Garrett brings. I love the the way he plays, the the energy and the tenacity in which he plays with. To me, I, I'd almost think Nico, just because I think Nico's a better pure thrower of the football. I mean, and more time in the offense, more time to learn. Maybe yeah. allow Green to be a part of the plan a little bit more and let him have some time. While Markiel is still the starter, I'm I'm torn on this one, and here's why: Garrett Green alleviates an average to oftentimes below average offensive line. But I think that improves Mike though next year, obviously as well. That is not obvious to me. It, it oh, could happen. Okay, okay. It could happen. I hope that it does, but to me, okay. it's not. Okay. Okay. Because we haven't seen it yet. You know, in spurts. In spurts. But I think it helps to to have that extra runner in there. Now it's eleven on eleven, um, and and then, but Nico gives you that too as well. That's he's not. I don't know if he's an ex, as explosive as Garrett, but he does give you mobility. He does, and here's another reason I like Nico. He, he's one and zero, and that's and, big. That's big. And, and if you watch his high school stuff, like he's known as a, as a winner type guy. You know, he, he beat Bishop Gorman with an injury. He and, puked on the football and then threw a two-point play in a, in that one Friday game. He was down 15 or whatever. I mean, come on, you know. So he's known as a, as a winner-type guy. If we have one of those, I don't want to waste it. So, like, my, my, my heart's saying Nico, but I like how much easier Garrett Green makes our life in a lot. Good point. Good point about that, Mike. And he kind of gave us a lot of juice last year at a time when we needed it. He did. Yeah. But then again, he took a hit like he did too. So you got to have Nico around as well and hope to protect him. I mean, man. Well, that's going to be the thing for for Garrett is is I think he's going to have to learn to to either get down or get out 
because I just I don't know if his style can play a full year because he takes some hits and he he initiates a lot of contact that I don't know if you want out of out of the quarterback position. I love the toughness, but you, you got to learn to to get down and, and play another down. Yeah, you don't want to invite those types of hits. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of uh, live to see another play. Be smart with the ball. Kind of yeah, like your boy yeah, Joey yeah. B. Well, on he, he, he needs to get with Tavon Austin because you watch Tavon's highlights. He never gets hit. He's always like running out of bounds or he avoids that big hit. Got, got, got to go to the Tavon school of, of, of going out of bounds or learning how to not get hit. The Tavon school he's of avoidance. Quick, that quick. Yeah. Well, granted, Tavon was a much different athlete, but what I'm saying is, is go back and watch like all like I mean, even that Oklahoma game where he was a running back, he took very little contact. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, very, very little. It's kind of unbelievable how little contact <laughs> he took in that Oklahoma game. That's why he ran for as many yards as he did. Correct, but you'll see him like guy gets an angle, he doesn't take the big hit, step out of bounds, flip the ball, let's get on to the next play. That's Garrett's kind of got to get into that and stop trying to always fight for that extra yard. Hey, can we send Donaldson over there too? Mm-hmm. I like that. Hey, you know, I don't want to see do that though, and that's Anderson. You, Mike, you talk, talked earlier about was was Avon kind of the guy who was like my first running back watching, and I said Amos. Like, Jalen Anderson kind of reminds me of a little bit of both of those guys in terms of body type and, like, the way he can kind of cut on a dime. Like, I see a little bit of both in him. Like, I could see it. Like, he, he was a four-star prospect, and, and in that last game where he got to get in a rhythm and he broke two, you could see that quick twitch and that just flat line speed. When he got a chance to bust it, he busted it. And, and there's that party, and I, I put it in the group chat where I was just like – Man, if we'd have just played our two four stars and let them figure it out, do we win a few more games this year? Like it's not perfect, but but I there's no replacement for real action reps. I, I don't think that the learning behind people in practice thing is is the most strong way of learning because I mean the third teamers don't get that many reps in, in actuality. He probably learned more in that last game than he did all year. I you're probably right, Mike. A hundred percent. You know what I find to be interesting? Is we're sitting here and we think and we we thought we put a bow on last week football, but but we obviously can't. Like a five and seven season this year, not that much different than last year being six and six. So it's like, okay, what really happened? You know, then you lost the bowl game, obviously, to row the boat, Scotty Ma the Gophers six and seven. But it's like, man, we had the one year in COVID where we found it with Tony Fields defensively. Mike, I'm starting to more and more come to your side of things when I think about the Neil Brown era, but man, he has got, if he doesn't get it done this year, coming back with what he has coming back, it's officially over. And I'm, I'm okay with pulling the plug a lot earlier on it than even mid season. If things aren't going well to salvage, what could be salvaged with this talent? Yeah, on offense, at least. Last year, though, there were so many weeks where we were saying it's it's got to be this week, it's got to be a conversation, and it just that just never happened. And then you heard the comments from the president today, and I don't, I just don't know if they're thinking that way. I, I feel like they have to be now. I don't think they were before. I think you're right, and I think that's part of what got Shane on the other side of things. Yeah, got him that pink slip, you know. But the president was seemed to be the driving force. Like the the question he said, Gordon, I would imagine you had the primary uh, input on this. And he said he talked a little bit to Ren Baker, but I mean, I think it was pretty much an E. Gordon Gee decision. So where's his head at? He's he's getting up there in age. One of my friends pointed that out. Like is is he is he sharp still? I can't speak to it, Mike. I, mean, I don't know. None of us can. I think it's a legitimate question, though. He's been in academia a long, long time. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not going to be doing it that much longer anyway. So, it is. But I mean, the good thing is now you do have an athletic director who's going to make that call um, with what he sees. You know, everything for Neil Brown is right now a job interview. 
every day is a job interview. So he has to take that approach. I mean, recruiting looks to be still going pretty strong. It just keeps it keeps me wondering, like, we do have this talent. And we've definitely stockpiled some over here the last couple of years. It's like, why are we not seeing this win? It's, it's, it's a fair question to start start, start kind of pondering. The, the talent is inconsistent. It's good, not great. That's why. So you need better, a little bit more of uniqueness in your schemes. The best. Not being so vanilla to win some of these football games and you don't have the explosive player. The the best four-year full-cycle recruit in the Neil Brown era, statistically, uh, definitely on the offense, and I, I can't think of another guy on the defense that was a Neil Brown guy, is Sam James, who played a little bit better the last six games of the season but was still average by the rest of the nation's standards. Again, mid-700-yard finisher, and that's the best player in the four-year Neil Brown cycle. So we've seen it with our own two eyes. He's not a very good recruiter. Um, So I don't see it. I don't get it. But for some people, that's not enough sample size. Uh, Even now, Hoppy Kirchival, I think, made this argument that it's it's still only year two of the Neil Brown era. Like, nobody else didn't have to endure COVID. And, and I mean, the cupboard is as bare as it was a few years ago. Okay, that was – the state wore out that expression. Dana left the cupboard bare. The cupboard was bare. I don't know who said that first, but I've probably heard it nine zillion times. It was four years. It was. It hasn't gotten any better. It's just as bare. I mean, I don't – most of the time, people don't just adopt a loaded team. There's a reason why the other coach got fired or left or whatever. There are certain eras, though, where coaches have started off a little better than others. <laughs> Sometimes you find things better than you found them. You know what I mean? So I get that, Dion. and that's and that's fair. And, and but but at the same time, though, Mike, I'm, I am with you. He's had plenty of time to stock the cupboard. And and I mean, who who did he have? Who was the? Uh, he had he had a couple of uh, NFL guys on that team. Didn't he? I mean, he, he I, you know what I tell you, Mike? He did well. You talking about Neil? He had an offense. Who's the offense? Uh, Cole McKivitz. I mean, he's had had some good defenses. What I would say is he's had some good defenses, and then he tried to make it work with Daigie. Shouldn't have worked. It was a problem trying to find a quarterback when he first came in here. That's for sure. Then he finally thought he found one, and he didn't really. Or whatever happened this year with JT, we'll never really know. Um, Guys, I don't know if you notice or know this. Supposedly, there's an, a picture out there um, of Daniels, like the pit student section found. It's just kind of weird, and then like you kind of just start thinking about it, and it's it it makes you wonder what happened this year with him. Like he he, he got lost, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, he did, and it, it was the, the turning point was that Iowa State game. He was just skipping rocks out there, so you don't really know is is it a physical thing, a mental thing? I, like you said, I guess we, we won't ever know. Yeah. Is, is he in the portal? He's not yet, right? No, not as of right now, he's not. Now he actually is indeed gone since we taped. That's the portal. Hmm. What if he stays? Is it a three-way comp? I would say yes. And then does Goose have an outside chance? Goose is gone. And Uncle Rico, Goose left. <laughs> Goose. Goose Goose finally flew the coop. And he he that's decided good. to take elsewhere. That's good for Goose. Him and Reese Smith together. Um I don't <laughs> know if I was I, but you know, it's so hard to even try and really sit here and like say what you're gonna think you're gonna see. Because you just have no idea. You really don't. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Now, when does it actually close up the portal, though? Never. Sometime, uh, it's, they, they put some type of date on it, though, correct? It's like March, right?
Okay. Um, let's see. The first window um, opened the day after the championship teams are selected. So that's December the 5th. Today. Um, and it closes 45 days later. So January the 18th, it will close. Then it'll reopen May the 1st through the 15th. So there's going to be, oh, wow. So there's two waves of the portal. Yeah, there's a spring period. Oh, boy. Which is that. So after spring ball. Oh, that's the one you got to make it through. I feel like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, the, the only exception, to the the one big exception to the windows are the grad transfers because they can enter at any time. Hmm. And then players whose coaches were fired during the season have an immediate 30-day window, which that's kind of already in play. So, oh, yikes. So, yikes. Yeah, you've got to get two windows to, to really get through. Yikes. The second window is the one that worries me, I'll be honest. Hey, uh, Mike, real quick, I want to ask you this. Um, when we're talking about – we talked all about Liberty's coaching search last week. What did you think about them landing Caldwell? I, I have not cared about the Coastal Carolina mission ever since did you, the house guy. I, how did they – why did they of him? Why did they, why did, why did they part ways with him? Well, I think Coastal just or uh, Coastal just couldn't afford him, and Liberty paid what four million CJ. Yeah, yeah, four million a year uh, for. He was only making one at Coastal, essentially. I guess it's just that much more money. Splash. Yeah, it it was more money, um, and then uh, listening to his press conference. Um, yeah, he was actually kind of excited as far as, you know, where Liberty's at, what they're doing, um, you know, going into conference USA, their, their position to be one of the the better off programs, as far as the fundraising and, and the money and the facilities go. Um, and it's from his conversations, it was kind of always a place that was kind of always a little on his radar. So it's wild to me, though, man, because like he went to a, a down a lateral move, but he got paid a ton more to do it. I guess. Well, yeah, and you know, and I know this this move to Conference USA was kind of step one in in what Liberty really wants to be able to do. Um, you know, they're and it's the reason they've scheduled kind of the way they have, um, especially as an independent and then even going to try and continue it through their non-conference scheduling as, as they can is, is they want to be able to put themselves in a position when when conference realignment happens again to be in a position to try and, and elevate, um, you know. Whether or not that's realistic or not, it's a completely different conversation. But I, I know what the leadership down there is thinking in that line. That's why they've invested so much in their athletics, into the facilities, you know, and into competitive stuff on 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 the athletic side of things. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Though I mean, because Caldwell feels like a big gift for Liberty, quite frankly. Yeah, it is, and he was their number one guy on the board uh, from day one, and and they wasted no time. Splash. I would feel pretty good about him coaching West Virginia, you know, but that doesn't seem like that's going to happen now either. Mike, I'm starting to get nervous that we're going to, like, eventually fire Neil when it happens, and we're not going to even get a good coach then. I mean, if we continue to to think and act conservatively, then you're right. You can't just go with the most popular brand name. Well, what's going to happen next? Yeah. I mean, who's who's your guy now that Dion's off the board? You uh-huh. know? I mean, I haven't formed a list. Is it Neil Brown's coming back? I mean, I thought you had the hot the hot stock market list at all times. I mean, I didn't have a problem with Rich Rod. I'm over all that. <laughs> I think he could get the offense going. So Rich Rod's now number one. Rich Rod is number one. Yeah. Hmm. And it's not perfect, but it's, I mean, I. 
as far as people that are realistic, yeah, I'd rather go that route than just in a recycled coach or somebody that is underqualified. All right, Rich, number one on the list. If Jimbo could come available, probably Jimbo over Rich, but I don't that that win probably bought him some time. Oh yeah, that yeah, win really she definitely did. At eighty-five million, doesn't doesn't hurt here. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt. I don't know, fellas. I, I just got a feeling that I don't know. I, it feels weird to me, like. I think Neil is going to have a good year next year. And then the following years when things are going to really bottom out, it's going to be interesting. How are we going to deal with us having a good year with him next year? That's what I'm nervous about. And then what happens with coaching staffs then? I don't know. It scares me a little bit. Cause I feel like we're, <laughs> I just don't know this Baker guy, like this literal dude. They got he got fired like literally the day after Baker's gone. Did y'all see that? The old coach yeah. in North Texas got fired today. I found that I, interesting. I, I did, I did see that. And here's the interesting thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm pretty sure I read in the report that wasn't Baker's hire, was it? Because I read somewhere that that wasn't necessarily his hire. I don't know that for sure. I think it. I think it was actually CJ. Okay, because I read somewhere somebody had said that they didn't think that was necessarily his hire. He, that was a guy he inherited. He was forty-four and forty-four in seven seasons, made bowl six of seven years at North Texas. That's North Texas is he was really bad at football. I don't know, man. I he made a good hire in basketball too. I, I hopefully he gets money, man. He's at least calling people. At least Pat, at least Pat McAfee's back on board. Maybe give some money. Get, get money. You know what I mean. <laughs> get that money any way you can. If Rim Baker gets that money for us, puts it in the right places, maybe some good stuff will happen. We got to go that route. Hey, yeah, Mike. I, I, I think in, in, yeah, in today's day and age, you know, fundraising is going to be the. The, the big window that you've got to be in. Yeah, because if you're not, you're you're going to get left behind and, and, and quickly. Um, and, you know, a lot of talk tonight about kind of the state of college athletics and we're interested in getting more basketball. We didn't have the heart to do it after the loss to Xavier. I don't want to get into it right now. Um, all the reasons why that but uh, till next time, y'all, let's, t- let's take it easy and uh, let's go Mountaineers. Let's go drink some beers. Get a couple wins this week in hoops. Mm-hmm.